Hi, and welcome to PodCash, the portable CPD in best practice podcast from Cash. My name's Dawn, and I'm the editor of Cash Alumni, the fastest growing network of current and future professionals in care, health, and education. You can join us for free at www.cashalumni.org.uk and get access to articles from subject specialists and experts, e-learning, you can get access to a discount and benefits scheme, and lots of support with career development and your future growth. Listeners who've been with us for a while might remember that in the summer we got the opportunity to attend Wellfest, which was a wellbeing festival for those working in further education. Well, this winter we've got the opportunity to go again, and this time West Yorkshire Learning Providers have organised a festival of wellbeing for those in further education who are currently studying. Today's episode features two of four speakers, Victoria Bartle and Stephen Mordew, and is hosted by Kelly and Beth from WYLP, West Yorkshire Learning Providers. WYLP are a regional network established to support and advocate all providers and colleges in the further education sector. In addition, the West Yorkshire Learning Providers provide a unique provider support service to support providers on their journey to outstanding. And the next episode, featuring Louise Messier and a selection of apprentices sharing their own experiences, will go live next Friday. Over to you, Kelly. Thank you for joining us. Today's speakers will include Victoria Bartle. We've got Stephen Mardu, um, Louise Machia, I believe she's going to correct me probably. Um, and we have apprentices Beth, Georgia, and Ibrahim as well today. Um, so thank you all for joining. This year, due to COVID, we've all been restricted in what we can do, with who, and when. And then we've had to decide if the risk of being exposed to the virus is worth the activity. And I feel that my experience of living with multiple chronic conditions can help people manage at the minute, and especially at this time of year, when it's so important to be with friends and family and carry on traditions and have fun when we can't do it the usual way this year. I've got a number of conditions that cause constant pain and fatigue, and I've lived a very similar life to lockdown since they got pretty bad about six years ago. I can't leave the house very often. I have to limit my activities to about three or four things a week. And even then I can only manage a few hours at a time. When I do go out, it's a huge event because I've got to remember to take everything with me and then think about how it's going to affect me in the long term. So I'm hoping that sounds a bit familiar to you as how you've all been living this year. I have my three P's approach <laughs> of prioritising, pacing and planning. To prioritise what I do, how I do things, I use acceptance and commitment therapy, which is known by ACT if anybody's heard of it. It's a type of psychotherapy that I was taught about by the pain clinic here at the RVI in Newcastle and it's really helped me to manage my life around my disabilities. And one of the core principles of ACT is to set goals and actions around your values to improve your overall happiness and well-being. I've got a link for you on the information that's going to be sent out where you can find different values um, sheets and there's loads of things or just whatever springs to mind that's really important to you and you can see on the screen that I've highlighted quite a few that are important to me and then I've circled in gold my top five as well. And having a knowledge of what your values are helps you to decide what you're actually going to be doing. Um, If you think about how you feel when you're doing something that's a chore that you know doesn't sit quite right with you, 
and then think about how you do think how you feel when you're doing things that are really important to you and that lifts you up and it makes you feel good and it can even give you more energy so over the last few years I've had to look at my activities and decide which are the most important which ones link into and support my values and then cut out or delegate things to other people if it'll cost me too much in terms of energy or pain or mentally if it'll bring me down and you can do this yourself as traditions will have to be different this year with COVID restrictions so you can pick the things that are most important to you adapt them to fit in with the current restrictions or even make your new, own new traditions um, a couple of ideas are FaceTime with family and friends to open presents instead of doing it in person. Maybe go see Santa online with the kids, sing carols or do a secret Santa on a Zoom call with friends. There's loads of ways that you can adapt things. But one point that I'll also say is that it's always a good idea to have a conversation around it first with the people that you're going to be including, just so that everybody can put forward their own ideas and have a say of how things are going to be done especially at the moment because we're all having to make tough choices like who's going to be in our bubbles can we see friends and family are our usual traditions going to be safe so as well as using values to make decisions i've also included here the circles of influence which i find really helps me ultimately you can only control yourself you can have a little bit of impact on other people and there's lots and lots in the world that we can't control, especially at the moment. And unfortunately, we have to let a lot of that go. So try and let go of the things that you can't control and make the things that you can control as positive as possible. Be honest and open and have those tough conversations around how to make our adaptations, but still have fun and stay safe this Christmas. And when you're thinking about what to do and who to involve, just remember that at the minute we're all struggling with life in general. So just be kind and understanding if people don't want to meet up or are following the rules in the rules in a slightly different way to you. I'm always reminding myself of this because I've discovered since becoming really ill that most of disabilities are invisible. You have no idea what people are struggling with. And this causes problems for me from getting funny looks when I'm using the disabled parking spaces or toilets to people even challenging me about my disabilities. And at the moment, your friends or family could have a condition that puts them or someone in their household at high risk from COVID complications or have anxiety that's just making interactions really challenging at the minute. So just remember that everybody's got struggles that they might not want to talk about, but it could be affecting their behaviours at the minute. Then my next P is pacing. Uh, so this is a way of planning and living that's recommended to people with chronic fatigue and pain conditions to help you balance your activities and make sure that you're not doing loads of things, then feeling dreadful for days, weeks or even months afterwards. It's called the boom and bust cycle and that's what we need to avoid. Um, it's so easy to slip into, especially over Christmas. And pacing isn't just about doing or not doing things, it's also planning how much time you'll spend on different things and people. So when you're planning your time, remember that chatting can be just as exhausting as a physical activity. I'm sure you all have people in your lives who drain you of energy. So try and minimize the time spent with those type of people, as well as activities that are exhausting if you do have to do them, and it'll help you keep yourself on an even keel. You can't support others if you've got no energy yourself. So 
remind partners, flatmates and kids to do this as well so you can avoid any festive frustrations. I know how snappy and irritated I get if I'm really tired or in lots of pain. So I always make time to look after myself so that I can enjoy the time that I'm spending with other people uh, as best as I can. And also they get the best version of me if I'm looking after myself. So think about activities that give you energy and then mix them in with things that you know are going to be draining. But also do things just for you. You don't have to please everybody all of the time. And you can even use COVID as a good excuse this year if you're not feeling comfortable or you don't really fancy it. Um, when I stopped working, I made a list of things that I love doing and I still make sure that I plan some of those in every month. I've had to adapt them this year, but one of my favourite things is to take myself out for lunch and then to the cinema. And it gets me out of my head and it's totally like me time and it's amazing and it really revitalises myself. So this year I've had to make myself a special lunch and then watch a film that I've never seen before and make sure my phone is properly turned off so that I don't get disturbed and I don't get distracted and start playing stupid games on my phone, which is very easy to slip into. <laughs> There's also lots of guilt and grief around, especially this year, that we need to deal with. We've all lost friends and family members and there's traditions and activities that we can't do that usually make us and our loved ones happy. So moving away from that guilt and grief, is it's really vital to enjoy the holidays and stay positive into the new year. When my disabilities first started to impact my life in a big way, I had so much grief about what I couldn't do, but I chose to focus on the things that I could do. It's absolutely fine, totally necessary to feel sorry for yourself for a bit, have a whinge and a moan, feel sad, but then you've also got to pick yourself up and get back on with things. And I find that setting goals and celebrating achievements really helps me. So find a goal that links to your values and work towards it. And a reward at the end is always a good idea as well. Over lockdown, I decided to start learning Spanish with all of my extra free time. Um, so I've done a little bit every day for the past seven months and I'm really proud about it. And once we are able to travel again, I shall be using that Spanish in the sunshine. The way you look at things makes a huge difference to how you're experiencing them. So if you're struggling to stay positive, then you could try something like a happiness journal or noting down three things every day that make you smile. I've put some links in to take you to um, a few of those that you can see which works for you. It can really help you see the positives and not spend time ruminating on the negatives of the situation. And I'm sure everybody's heard the theory that if you do have a serious health condition, if you approach it with a positive attitude, you've got a better chance of getting through it. So living with a chronic health condition or through a pandemic is a similar life-changing and impactful, impactful experience. So we've all got to remember to put our positive pants on. So the next P with our positive pants is planning. I find that having a plan and a structure to each day can help keep you away from all those negative ruminations. And distraction is another technique from ACT therapy that really does work. You'll know yourself if you're engrossed in a task, a conversation or an experience, you're less likely to be thinking about the pain, fatigue or COVID. So think of fun, fun things to do and plan them in for every day. Outdoor games have been recommended this year instead of board games. So get your family outside or have a duvet or cinema day or a Lego day, whatever your family enjoy doing. And start new traditions rather than sitting around feeling miserable because you can't do what you normally be doing. Now, obviously, 
it's not realistic to plan every minute of every day and distractions do have their limits so another tip is that having things to look forward to really helps it doesn't have to be something huge or even that far in advance like i know I'm, i'll be on that plane to spain as soon as we're allowed um so that's one of my things to look forward to but just knowing that you're going to speak to a friend in a few days can help make you feel happy so make sure you've got something in your diary to look forward to maybe a special bottle for new year's eve even so I use a, a planner that shows me my month all the time and I colour code it, my activities to make sure that I'm doing a mixture of vital things, sounds silly, but like washing my hair, putting my food shopping away, and then fun things like seeing my friends and family and going to the cinema when you're allowed. I also leave time to recuperate in between activities and you can do that for yourself and your family, making sure you've got a good mix of fun things, necessary things, but also mix up the tiring and energizing things and having something visual where you can see what you're going to be looking forward to and what your plans are can help keep your spirits up over the holidays. So if things go wrong, I've got a plan for when I get sicker than normal. Um, it usually leaves me housebound for about a month if I get a cold or something. So I know what I'm going to do in that time to look after myself and make myself feel better. It makes me feel in control and it also reminds me that it's just a temporary situation. So you could have a similar pandemic plan for if you do have to isolate, spend lots of time alone or if you just need a boost. Uh, make a box of fun things to do, crafts, hobbies, games, make sure your Netflix list is all full of stuff that you want to watch, uh, yummy snacks and a list of friends and family that you can call or FaceTime to cheer you up listen to you when you need a moan or just send you silly pictures and things to make you smile. People with disabilities have had to live virtually for years and with an almost universal lockdown this year, there's now so much more stuff they can do online. Um, so visit a museum, take a sleigh ride with Santa or listen to a carol service. There's so much stuff that you can find to keep yourself occupied and happy for the rest of the year as well. So my conclusion, this is my silver linings bit. <laughs> find the silver linings. Don't let grief and guilt take over what you can't do take over. I know this year has been hugely draining on everyone. So if you're struggling, you can do things like the three things diary and it'll help you focus on the positives and let the negatives go. Or you can make a happiness list or a photo board. I've got one up in my kitchen, which has pictures of all my friends and family on and some positive quotes and things. So I know that if I'm feeling a bit miserable, I can just as soon as I walk in the kitchen, it's, I know it's going to make me smile. That is me. Thank you so much for letting me be part of the event. I've really enjoyed it. And I hope that some of the things that I've said will help you a little bit. Right. That's great. Right. Well, thank you very much. Um, and I hope you have a lovely afternoon. Um, well, so... I'm going to be bombarded with an eight-year-old and a two-year-old and my sister. So it'll be fun. <laughs> That'd be nice. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. Next, we have Stephen Mordew up, who will also be speaking about um, mindfulness and well-being. Um, so, Stephen, if we can hand over to you. It's really interesting uh, listening to somebody else talk about similar things that you get used to talking about, uh, because you kind of pick up different things and you think, well, I think about that a little differently, or I think about that the same, which is which is really nice. And uh, I really liked uh, Victoria's. Um, passion about planning because uh, the last time I did one of these uh, Wellfest uh, things back in the summer I think it was 
Um, I was asked the question at the end of that about what are my what are the three things that uh, that I think people should uh, uh, adhere to, I suppose, to have to have um, good lives, and the three things were plan, 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 uh, because I think you know as uh, as Victoria was pointing out, having a plan um, and structuring your life and structuring everything that you're going to do really, really pays dividends. So I'm going to kind of pick that up, um, pick that up as I talk. So I wanted to start really by uh, by by saying. Happy Christmas to you all, and uh, and indeed the next thing we'll say is Happy New Year, and uh, I'm just going to pick up on that first word, happy, because we also kind of say to each other often, don't we, happy birthday, because we are obsessed with happiness. We wish happiness uh, upon each other. Happiness is the, the goal that we, uh, that we want to try and achieve. It trips off our tongue. Uh, it's the thing we're after. Um, but it's interesting to kind of figure out what is happiness and actually as human beings, what is it that, that makes us happy? So I'm going to explore that a little bit and I'm going to come up with some with some very concrete tips for how to face the challenges of life, I suppose. And the stuff that I talk about, I, I often, I'm often talking to, uh, my professional background is in social work, I'm often talking to social workers about this kind of thing. Um, about how to plan and how to organise yourself and, and 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 how to kind of fit in your self care so that so that you promote your well being, and um and, and one of the things that that I always know is that it doesn't matter what you're doing, all of these tips I suppose, all of these things you can do, um are equally applicable to cooking the Christmas lunch or wrapping the presents or buying the presents or at work or when you are studying in terms of, I don't know, portfolio constructing or writing an assignment, they're all valuable in, in terms of those things. So there's this, this happiness thing. Um, I'm a, a big fan of Stoic philosophy. So there's a group of philosophers called Stoics and they say this, which is quite interesting. They say that actually happiness is a bit of an illusion. Life is generally hard and life is generally difficult. And every so often, we find a little pocket of magic, and that magic is, is kind of what we call happiness. Sometimes, I'd argue, we're looking for happiness in the wrong places. We like to buy things as though they're going to make us happy. But sometimes we find happiness in the kind of difficulties, I guess, when we overcome difficulties and we overcome um, problems. One of my favorite authors, Mahali, Sixth Cent Mahali, who wrote a book called Flow, about getting into the moment. Um, interesting here, Victoria mentioned mindfulness, about getting into the moment um, so that you can concentrate and be in flow on a particular thing. Um, he says that we have to try and find joy in everything. So that means finding joy in doing the ironing or doing the work we have to do or tending the garden or having fun with a big tube of Pringles and a movie on the telly. So we have to find joy in, in all of these moments. One of the things is that when it comes to happiness, we think people are having a better time than we're having, don't we often? You know, and I think Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram and all those kind of things kind of fuel that. But really, we're all we're all pretty much the same. We all get from moment to moment um, looking for those those happy moments um, that, that we're after. And I think that uh, we actually find happiness sometimes in the difficult and problematic things. Um, Alex Pang in, in a group called Rest, about why we need to rest, about why rest is important to us, talks about um, these difficult things and says that actually in mastering difficult things, we find that those things are really good for us and something that's mentally absorbing and deeply satisfying 
um, something that's hard work can actually make us happy uh, just as much as things that are are, are joyful and easy to do. Uh, and I, I was uh, listening to a podcast recently and uh, I heard about this Jewish parable. And this Jewish parable goes like this, that um, there are two rabbis arguing over a particularly knotty um, you know, uh, issue um, uh, in the in the Bible, in the Torah. And uh, they argue over this thing for years and years and years. They, they debate that every time they meet up, they debate this kind of thing. And eventually God kind of gets annoyed and says, right, okay, I'm going to go down and I'm going to sort this out. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to tell them what the answer is. And um, so God appears to these, these two rabbis and says, look, I'm here. I'm going to tell you what the answer is to this, this conundrum that you're debating. And uh, the two, the two rabbis turn around to God and go, clear off, clear off. What right have you got to tell us what the answer to this conundrum is? And uh, the, the idea of this parable is that actually they're delighting in the difficult thing that's to do. They're thinking, they're striving, they're kind of making a connection. Um, so sometimes the difficult things like work um, or sometimes the difficult things we have to do at home um, or some of the difficult things we have to do about Christmas, cooking the Sunday lunch. I'm on Sunday lunch this year, so my big challenge is uh, is the Yorkshire puddings so sometimes you know we have to uh, we have to be in charge of those things control them somehow control how we approach these things how we set our mind to them set your intention as one of the things I say is, is set your intention how are you how are you going to approach this thing because um this is a quote from uh, a book called relentless by Tim Grover and uh, he says you have to do the work Every day you've got something to do that you don't want to do. Every day. Challenge yourself to be uncomfortable. Push past the apathy, the laziness and the fear. Otherwise, the next day you're going to have two things that you don't want to do. Then the day after you have three and then you have four and then you have five. And pretty soon you can't even get back to the first thing that you were trying to attempt to do that you've put off. And then all you can do is beat yourself up for the mess you've created, he says. And now you've got a mental barrier to go along with the physical barriers. Now I've got this little model, I've got this little model that uh, that draws on some of the things that Victoria was saying, I suppose, about planning and about finding your your kind of happy spaces and finding the things that, are, that you feel are good for you. Because I feel we have to kind of start by being in control of self. We have to start by being in control of the emotional content of our lives and the practical content of our lives and the physical content of our lives. We have to be, we have to start with that. Then we have to control the stuff that's around us, the stuff that we have to do at work or when we're studying or, or at home for our family. We have to then control everything that sits in what I call our sphere of responsibility. That's everything that's ours to be in charge of. We have to control all of that. Because in controlling all of that, um, we can we can plan ahead. We can bring the bring the future into the present. That's what planning is. Bring the future into the present, so that you can do something with it. Yeah, and then you can plan it and you can work ahead. Um, one of the places I, I disagree a bit with Victoria is I think you can plan everything down to the the finest detail, and that and that's what I try and do because I think. I think it's it's in the successful achievement of things, whatever they are, the einen, um or you know, or getting to the end of a box set or whatever. There's 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 happiness in, in the achievements that we get to. But one of the things that gets in the way is procrastination. Yeah, there's this thing called Buridan's donkey, and uh, Buridan's donkey. There's a few different versions of this, and, and one version is put down to Aristotle, so it's got some it's it's got some history. Um, 
with Buridan's donkey goes something like this, and I say there are a few versions of it, that um, that there's this donkey, bless it, stuck equidistant between the hay bale and the water trough, and the donkey is both hungry and thirsty. So the donkey stands there and is caught in this, this trap of, of not knowing whether to um, quench its thirst or or satiate its, its hunger. Um, so what it does is just stands there because it doesn't know which thing to do. And ultimately, well, if it was left there for long enough, it would die, wouldn't it, from starvation or, 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 or thirst. All it needs is something to nudge it in one direction or the other. So if it's nudged in the direction of the water, it'll quench its thirst. Then it'll go off and, and satiate its hunger. But sometimes we don't do it. We get stuck and, uh, and, and we put off, don't we? And uh, Jordan Peterson says that when things break down, this is a quote from Jordan Peterson, when, when things break down, when we're a last minute, yeah, when things break down, what's been ignored rushes in. Um, when things are no longer specified with precision, the walls crumble and chaos makes its presence known. When we've been careless and let things slide, what we've refused to attend to gathers itself up, adopts a serpentine form and strikes often at the worst possible moment yeah so whatever you've been putting off an assignment that work on your portfolio checking the tires on the car which is the thing that i put off all the time um and then i get to the garage and i find that they're virtually flat even though they look fine to me um you know so what have you been putting off what are you putting off all the time you can guarantee that when you're running out of time when you've got no time, that's the thing that will raise its head like a serpent and, and strike. And you will then have an emotional response to it because you'll feel as though you've let yourself down by leaving things till the last minute. This is what I call a bookaroo moment. This is your bookaroo moment. Who, who's who's come across bookaroo? It's a game, it's a game and it's a plastic donkey and you stand the donkey up and it's spring loaded. And um, you then have to load it up carefully. You put its saddle on and you load like the bucket onto it and the shovel and you have to load all of these things on. And if you don't load it on carefully, you know, if, if you rush to load things on, then you have a, it, it kicks and it bucks and everything goes everywhere and you end up with, with chaos. Here's the thing, the earlier that you plan, the more options you can make available to yourself. If you leave it till the last minute, you are starting to run out of options because you have to do it. But here's the kicker, because we have lazy brains. We have lazy brains. I'll tell you about Daniel Kahneman and Thinking Fast and Slow in a moment. But we have lazy brains. It's easier for us to leave it till the last minute because then we don't have the trouble of having to make a choice. So um, I'm a lecturer at Sunderland University um, for, for part of the week. And uh, the amount of students who leave their assignments till the day or two days before. And they wish they didn't, but they do because then they've got no choice. They've got no choice about getting on with it. They have to get on with it. They're motivating themselves with external motivators. They've left it so late that they've got no choice other than to do it. Now, if, if they'd started earlier, they would have had more opportunities and more choices earlier about when they did it. They could have picked a moment where they were uh, feeling alert and awake and, and feeling really positive about getting on with it. They could have done some hours then, but no, they're left with the last 48 hours and then they're handing in at two minutes to midnight, just before it's due in. But actually what the psychologists say is actually we, 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 quite, we quite like being like that till it goes wrong because it saves us the bother of having to plan and having to think strategically about how we can, how we can work on things. 
my dog's outside and having a bark. Can you hear my dog? What we need to what we need to think of here is that when we're motivated externally, so when we're motivated by the end date of the, the assignment or when we're motivated by that last minute stuff, um, it causes us a problem because it's much better to be motivated internally by wanting an intrinsic motivator because intrinsic motivation motivation that's fueled internally taking us back to that internal control and that internal organization fuels us fuels direction fuels intensity it fuels motivated behavior um, when we're motivated internally so something like something like um, I, I want uh, Christmas Day to go really well because I want I want the meal to go well on Christmas Day because I want it to be a success. Um, that's an internal motivation rather than an external motivation, which is kind of more of a, it's a bit of a chew on and it just needs to be done and, and over with. So if you can internally motivate yourself by finding your own values that Victoria talked about, that's really important, finding your own values. The, own, the, the, the reason you're, you value doing this thing I think is, is is important rather than being externally motivated by kind of last minute forced to kind of do this thing. Uh, yeah, so you need to think about what's my intrinsic motivation to get my iron done. So I want to look uncreased and, uh, and, and undisheveled. So there you go. Why do we procrastinate? Why do we do it? Because uh, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite phrases about procrastination um, is this. It's the art of ruining your life for no apparent reason. You put off and put off and put off till it becomes problematic. So why do we do it? Well, there are three things I want to share with you about why we procrastinate. One is the job looks too big. The second thing is we don't feel enough of what's called imminence pressure. The thing that we need to do isn't causing us the pressure of it's to do tomorrow. It's to do right now. And the third thing is, um, we don't have to hand what we need to make a start. Uh, one of the other things I'm fond of saying is making a start is the hardest part. There are two bits to any activity that are, a that are difficult, starting it and finishing it off. The bit in the middle, we tend to find a lot easier once we kind of get going. Um, so I said I'd tell you about Dave, Daniel Kahneman, the thinking fast and slow. He says the reason we procrastinate is because our brains are quite lazy. We prefer relying on our automatic brain that just gives us easy answers to things. But as soon as we have to really apply ourselves and plan something and structure something and think it through, um, we, we start to hit problems because that feels like too much of a problem for us. So let's, let's have a look at those, those three things. First of all, the job looks too big. Okay, this is one of the things that uh, that causes us to procrastinate. So how can we overcome this idea that the job is, is too big? How do we overcome this? Well, my question to you is how do you eat an elephant? How do you eat an elephant? You eat an elephant one bite at a time because you couldn't possibly eat a whole elephant all in one go. It would be too much to do that. So this is one of the ways we can overcome procrastination. We can take a big task and we can break it down into lots of smaller tasks. Okay. And this relies on a, on a psychological, um, psychological trick. A lot of what we're talking about here is little tricks to trick our psychology into kind of thinking all is well and getting on with things to overcome this procrastination. So the idea here is a thing called the power of small wins. Now, every time, 
you tick something off your to-do list or get to the end of an activity, you get a little dopamine rush in your brain. Now, your now dopamine is your, your feel-good hormone. Um, so we like that. We like that feel-good hormone. So if you break this big task down into 10 or 12 little tasks and pop all of those into your diary or into your calendar to do, so you can tick them off one at a time over a period of time, not all left on the last minute, then you get these little hits of, of dopamine. And every time you tick one off and get that hit, it motivates you to do the next thing. And then you're motivated to do the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing till the task is complete. If you leave it as one big task and it's in your diary as, as, as one thing, um, then you only get that dopamine hit right at the end. You only get it once. So let's give ourselves this little buzz to keep motivating ourselves on. The second thing that I mentioned was, is that the thing we need to do isn't causing us imminence pressure. The thing we need to do isn't causing us imminence pressure. This is the idea that it's too far off in the future that we think, well, we'll not bother with it. We'll not bother getting on with it because it doesn't really matter because I've still got two weeks to get that thing done. But as I've said, procrastination is the art of ruining your life for no apparent reason. If you've got time now, get on with it now. Why wait? Why wait till it needs to be done when you can maybe get on with some of it now? So that how to eat an elephant kind of uh, idea kind of works um, for that um, as well. Because what we're trying to do is get to the point where we're in control. We haven't got this end date of something or this thing that needs to be done kind of looming at us um, in, from the distance. We bring it into the present, we plan it, we plan each step all the way out so that when we get to that date that it needs to be done, or even before, dare I say, so you've left yourself a bit of slippage in case things crop up and you want to do something different on one of the days you'd set aside to do something, then you are starting to control it rather than it controlling you. Yeah, and as I said, the earlier you start, the more choices you've got in terms of um, in terms of when you do things. If you leave it till the last minute, you've literally got the last minute. Benjamin Franklin um, said, you may delay, but time will not. Yeah. Uh, while we're talking about time, this is this is an, an interesting idea, is that we all have a particular chronotype. We all uh, function throughout the day in different ways. Um, some people are, are morning larks, some people are night owls, yeah. Um, it's worth thinking about it in relation to sleep that as well, but probably on the time for that day, but it's, it's um, some of us are, are morning larks, so like me, I'm at my best, uh, I'm at my best first thing on the morning. So I tend to, uh, act, what I tend to do is plan all of my serious kind of heavy thinking stuff, lecture preparation and all that kind of thing. I tend to plan that for early on the morning or kind of mid-morning because that's when I'm at, I'm at my best. And then I leave afternoons um, for doing more administratively type stuff, tidying up stuff, planning stuff, that kind of thing. Um, so appeal to your chronotype, figure out when you're when you're best at doing things, when you're at your peak, and 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 when you are when you are at a kind of bit of a low a low ebb. Yeah, figure figure that out. So that that third thing um, that I talked about um, was around um, having the right tools to hand. And sometimes um, we, we have uh, things to do and we don't feel we can get on with them because we haven't got what we need. Now, here's another analogy for you. What's, the, what, what, what's it easiest to do? Move a one-ton rock or a one-ton pile of pebbles? 
Yeah, so this is this breaking things down idea. So if it's broken down, if the one ton rock is broken down into pebbles, well, it's going to be easier to move, isn't it? It's going to be even easier to move if you've got the right tools. If all you've got is your hands, then it's going to take you a long time to move them. But if you're prepared by having a wheelbarrow and a shovel, and, and uh, then you're going to be able to move that ton of pebbles um, even more. So if you've got the right tools to hand at the right time, you're going to make things a lot easier for yourself. So this is your planning phase. This this is um, this is how you are planning for things. If you're planning for things effectively, when you get to the point where you've got to do a particular task, you will have everything to hand um, that you that you need. And uh, to me, planning um, is is just it's just the thing that you have to do. Now, for me, our plan. I plan every day, so and, and I plan. Have, I have a big planning session on a, on a Friday. I have this phrase that uh, this Friday is the most important day of next week, because what I do on a, on a Friday or the end of my working week, whenever it is, because it's different places for different people. Whatever I do on my last, the last day of my working week, for example, or my last day of studying, is going to impact how next week is, because I want to plan everything. I want to get all my ducks in a row. Is one of those phrases that people use a lot. I want to get everything planned, so I've got phone numbers, I've got documents, I've got books I need, I've got all of those sort of things lined up. So when I get the Monday morning and I need to do a particular thing, I've got everything that I, that I, that I need um, already. That's that thing about control that Victoria was talking about. We sometimes can't control when we do things, but we can control how we approach things. And there's this idea called um, having approach goals or having avoidance goals. And it's kind of a bit about kind of optimistic thinking and pessimistic thinking. So how you set your approach goals is really important. Um, there was a study of, of, of students that I remember reading about that said students that set an optimistic uh, that had an optimistic view, an approach, an optimistic approach to assignments um, did better than students who simply wanted to avoid failing. So one group of students said that they wanted to do well, they had an optimistic approach to an assignment. And another group of students they found when they asked them before they did the assignment, found that they had an avoidance goal, which was, I just don't want to do badly, I just don't want to fail. And what they found was simply um, based on how they approached or avoided the kind of target thing um, impacted on their final results, even taking into account academic ability. So having a positive approach, an optimistic thinking approach to the task that is, is that needs to be achieved um, pays dividends for us, you know. So we have to approach things, set our intention to, um, to the task um, and think optimistically about how, about what we might be able to do. One of the, the most important things for me is, is to kind of say to you, do things one at a time. Multitasking um, is, I don't know who thinks they're good multitaskers. Anybody think they're a good multitasker in the chat? If anybody thinks they're a good multitasker, I mean, you may not want to answer that question because I'm about to tell you that multitasking is not a thing. It doesn't exist. We can't do it. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if you can do this. You don't have to turn your microphones on for this. But a great, a great example of how this works. Don't you don't need to turn your microphones on for anything. But just where you're at, and I'll do it here as well, so you don't feel daft. Um, I want you to count one to ten. So let's do that together. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Dead easy. Yeah, you can do that. That you. That's something you've been taught to do. Something you do quite straightforwardly. 
then the next thing we're going to do is do something else that we all intuitively know how to do, which is recite the alphabet. So A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. We'll stop there. So now what I want you to do, and I'm not going to do this with you, so I hope you're doing this, even though I can't see your cameras on. So I want you to intersperse those and go 1A, 2B, 3C, and see how far you can get. See how far you can get with that. And then I'll explain what's going on. Now then, I suspect if you were doing that, and I hope you were, because it's a really good example, I suspect what you found was you definitely started slowing down. And uh, I suspect that you started making mistakes. The further you go through the alphabet, the more mistakes you start to make. And this is because we can't multitask. Now, if you, if you can't do those two things, which are fixed in your brain, if you can't do those two things simultaneously, how on earth are you gonna write a report or write an assignment at the same time as listening to music, at the same time as answering stuff that comes up on Twitter or Facebook or TikTok or whatever, at the same time as kind of, you know, wonder what's going on in the news or whatever it is. How are, you, how are you going to manage to do all of those things at the same time when you can't count and say the alphabet at the same time? Two things which are ingrained. And this has been researched and um, a piece of research found that, that doing two tasks at the same time took 30% longer than if you'd just done them one after the other. And there were twice as many errors in the finished task. And uh, a study that Microsoft did found that if people were interrupted while they were programming, this is Microsoft's programmers, if they were interrupted by an email, it took them 10 to 15 minutes to then return to focused activity, having been interrupted by an email. So if you're trying to multitask, if you're trying to have your attention diverted into other things while you're meant to be working on what people in the productivity world call deep work, stuff that requires your attention, it's gonna take you longer to do it. So don't multitask, single task, do things one at a time, um, mindfully. We've used this word mindfully, haven't we? Mindfulness is not some kind of freaky, strange religious thing. Mindfulness is just about being in the moment, applying yourself in the moment to the exclusion of everything else, being focused on the task in hand. And I'd argue the only way you can focus on the task in hand is by being in flow, by being in that moment, having planned it so you've got everything available to you, so you don't become distracted by having to go off and find things um, or by hitting one of those kind of what I call boundary moments, hitting one of those brick wall moments where you think, right, okay, I now haven't got that book that I need or that report I need so I've got a choice here I can either go and find the book and get back to this go and find the report and get back to this again that's going to cause a delay or I can just oh, I'll tell you what I'll just take a break from it and I'll come back to it later on once I've got the book it's a boundary moment the fewer boundary moments we have the fewer opportunities we give to ourselves um, to divert ourselves from task the better so if we single task um, that that's much better so um, Thomas Mitchell writing in Essays on Life back in 1913, okay, so over 100 years ago, so this is how little we've changed as, as, as people, says this, it's, it's wonderful how much work can be got through in a day if we go by this rule. Map out your time, divide it off, take up one thing regularly after the other. To drift through our work or to rush through it in a helter-skelter fashion ends in comparatively little done. One thing at a time will always perform a better day's work than doing two or three things at a time. By following this rule, one person will do more in a day than others do in a week. I'm gonna kind of leave you with that. By planning ahead, 
by bringing the future into the present so that you have planned things so that you have everything available to you that you need and picking up and doing things one thing at a time will mean you do more and get into the state of flow and mindful behavior which means you will get so much more done than if you take a scattered approach to doing just whatever presents itself next or whatever you happen to have left till the last minute so i hope that's been helpful for you that's great Stephen. thank you very much i think it's quite easy to relate to what you were saying about that because it's very easy particularly now i think where people are working from home as well mm. where people think you're that accessible because to a certain extent well you're at home working yeah. um that they want immediate responses all the time to emails when I, and actually you spend more time breaking off yeah absolutely doing those those little emails that you think is it, it'll, oh this will only take me five minutes and then i'll get back on with this task but then actually you get completely derailed absolutely absolutely and i think we need i think people who are managers in organizations need to take some responsibility for this by giving this their teams and their staff permission to take an hour away from the emails or the phone calls or two hours away when they've got a piece of deep work to do and i think staff need to be given permission to do that because actually in the long run for a business or whatever it's gonna it's gonna pay dividends because people are going to get those deep work tasks done more efficiently so they're going to get more of them done okay thank you that's great thank you very much you're welcome um thanks to all the speakers for taking part in wellfest organized by west yorkshire learning providers and thanks to kelly and beth for hosting and thanks to you at home we hope you enjoyed this episode of podcast don't forget for more great content tailored to everyone in the care and education sectors you can join our membership network cashalumni.org.uk it's free to join and you'll get access to articles from subject specialists careers advice, job vacancies and our member benefits scheme. If you'd like to feature on a future episode of Podcash, please get in touch with us through the contact details on the Cash Alumni website. Until next time, take care.